LGBT plus disability and me. Welcome to the Priceless Podcast. Welcome everyone, my name is Mikhail Sechen and I'm your host. I finally remember to introduce myself because I realized I haven't said my name for a few episodes, so I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to stay incognito I'm uh, and exposing my guests, uh, but I just forgot. So the Prices podcast is made in partnership with the European Forum of LGBT Christian Groups. It is part of the Let Us Be Heard series, which is partially funded by HMS. And you can Google them and find out how they can support you and your projects across Europe. Or you can donate and help similar projects like this podcast. Subscribe, like, comment, share with people you think might like this podcast or need this podcast or maybe it could help them in any way and now is the time to get to our guest and of course we have a new guest and she is from Scotland so we're going all the way well not all the way but farther north than we usually did her name is Sean Jones and I'm so glad to have her here with me. Thank you for being willing to talk about this. Uh, so welcome. And how are you, Sean? Thank you, Michal. Um, I'm really good today. Um, yes, I'm feeling good. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Some of our uh, viewers and listeners uh, maybe never met you. Uh, well, I guess probably there are some viewers and listeners that haven't met you. Could you say a few words about yourself, who you are? So thanks, Mihai. Um, so as you say, I live in Scotland and I work in Scotland as a psychologist at the university. And I live in a town called Musselburgh in Scotland with my fiance, Carol Shepherd. And I live with a 16-year-old cat called Booba. Um, so I'm also a crazy cat lady. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as lesbian and also as disabled. Thank you so much. And we love crazy cat ladies. I'm a I don't know. Can I say that I'm also a crazy cat lady? I, I actually never thought that I will be. <laughs> I thought I was a dog person, but now my partner and I have a cat and we really like him. And he's, he's a crazy cat, but he's very nice and cuddly. You said that you identify as a disabled person. Uh, how was it for you to accept your sexual orientation and your disability? Well, I've been thinking about this and I think accepting the disability came first. So obviously I became aware of that at a much younger age, maybe I was three or four years old. I started realizing that my hand didn't work in quite the same way. So just for the sake of listeners um, and viewers, I have what's called cerebral palsy. So my right side of my body doesn't work as well as my left side of my body. I have something called hemiplegia. So 
the muscles are very weak down that side of my body so my arm and my leg doesn't work quite so well and that was the kind of explanation I was given when I was three or four or three or four um, that it just doesn't work so well and you were born that way and that's that's the way things are um, and I think I accepted that and all the emotional baggage that goes with that a lot sooner than I accepted my sexual orientation, which I only really accepted within the past five or six years. Um, and I think probably of the two, even though it's taken longer in time to accept the sexual orientation, so I didn't accept it till I was much later in life, it's been easier to accept than the journey towards accepting the disability was as I was a child because I just desperately as a child wanted to be the same as everybody else want to be normal um, and I spent my entire childhood in that I want to be normal stage of, of being um, whereas I kind of suppressed and repressed any kind of awareness of sexuality um, until I was in my early 30s um, and then had a shorter journey towards accepting that, if that makes sense. So one came much, very much more before the other. Yeah, it makes it makes sense what you say. So there are so many people who are, you know, we have even little things and we are struggling. Why? Why me? Um, and. Uh, actually, I didn't ask you first, but I suppose you are a person of faith. I am. Um, and how, you know, we we are so easy going towards the direction and say, why me? And we struggle, uh, people struggle with God. So how was that for you? How was your struggle with, with both of your identities, sexual and uh, your disability? How was that going for you? So I think I'll take them both separately, um, if that's okay. Although there are parallels between the two. So from this very, very early age, I was told that, you know, your parents went to church. Um, both my parents went to church um, and they prayed very hard when I was born. Um, and that's the reason why your disability isn't as bad as it could be. And you should be really, really grateful that it's not as bad as it could be. And that's because of all the prayers that we did. I had this kind of, the more you pray, the less disabled you will be kind of message coming through from adults around me, not just my parents, but adults around me when I was very, very young. Um, and that was remarkably unhelpful and didn't help me to accept what was going on at all. Um, and, yeah, the message very much was um, disability and lack of disability or lack of disability healing comes from prayer. And the more you pray, the better things will be. And that doesn't make sense with my experience. It doesn't make sense of many people's I know experience. And as I was growing up and I attended different churches, um, I heard a there was a much more helpful story going on around actual, around wholeness being part of um, anybody, 
not just the full kind of able body, but of anybody's experience. So you could be whole on the one hand and disabled on the other. And those two things could actually go together. Um, and the, whereas the message I had when I was very young was actually you're not whole um, and you need to pray for wholeness and you need to you, you, know, you need to be healed of this um, disability. So that was the kind of journey I went on as a as a young as a young teen as a teenager towards accepting disability um, and realizing that wholeness could go hand in hand with disability. Um, it's a similar kind of journey for my lesbian identity as well. Um, so um, in 2005, I stood in the World Congress of Baptists, which was held in Birmingham, and read a statement from the Creed of Belief of Baptists, Baptists at the time that categorically denounced homosexuality as wrong and not part of the Baptist creed. I can't remember the exact wording, but that was the that was the um, essence of it. And I was 22, 23 at the time um, and repressing, 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 repressing that, any kind of thought around that um, and didn't believe that I could be at all open or honest. Um, and then realized that I wasn't being myself by being part of that um, Baptist congregation as it was at the time in 2005. Um, and so I switched churches. Um, I move a lot with my job. So the switching churches happened coincidentally to me moving job. I decided I wasn't gonna go to a Baptist church anymore. I was gonna try going to a United Reformed church because I heard that they'd been much more open in their, in their practices and I, became a member of the United Reformed Church instead of the Baptist Church um, and began that kind of theological journey that maybe many of your listeners and viewers have been on of accepting um, sexuality as well. But that happened much later in life for me. Um, yeah. I'm not sure whether that answers your question or that captures the answer to the question. Yes, it does. And I'm really interested in what did this to you do emotionally? You know, like <laughs> you actually had the same experience like many LGBT people, you know, pray the gay away. You had this experience with your disability, pray your disability away. So what did this to do to you emotionally? Um, it made me feel like I wasn't a whole person um, and that I wasn't a proper person and that I had something to be very ashamed about um, from both um, from both quarters most notably probably the sexuality and I didn't even go near that um, as a child or as a child or, or as a teenager because it was just well, in, 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 in the theology that was practiced at the time that I was a young teenager and a young adult, it was just taboo. It wasn't, it wasn't talked about. So I guess a, a deep sense of shame and of almost fear around it. And there was fear around the disability as well. So when people think of disability, they kind of hush up and don't talk about it. And the same with sexuality in, in the churches. You know, we, we have this creed that says this, 
and we won't talk about it. Um, and that was just the way it was, I guess. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think it did me many favours emotionally to be to be living with that and to be holding that and hiding that for most of my adult life and young teenage life. I'm actually having shivers while you're talking, <laughs> just, yeah, just connecting to what you're saying. And uh, yeah, I can only imagine, of course, uh, you know, I, I can't understand you completely, but I can connect to what you're saying in a way. So being LGBT plus and disabled, what would you say are the specific challenges of having both identities? I think there's a challenge of intersectionality there, um, by which I mean that within disabled spaces, a lot of the time, LGBT identities aren't discussed. And then within LGBT space, LGBT spaces, disability isn't so likely to be discussed. And you're kind of in the middle in this identity where one will affect the other and they can compound each other because they're both fundamentally about bodies and the way that theology deals with bodies in different ways. But they rarely come together. So there was a talk at Open Table um, a few months ago, which is another um, Christian network um, where some people came together and talked about the disabled God within the sphere of the LGBT identity as well. And that was, I think, the first time that those two had come together. And we'd been talking about the LGBT identity in tandem with a disabled identity as well. So for me, my experience is that it's very rare that those two things are ever brought together and thought about in the same way, even though there are parallels between the two. That, that's the main, the main challenge. As we can hear from what you are saying, there are actually quite a few parallels between those two and how you felt and what you went through with both of those. So what would you say are the biggest misconceptions about disabled people and if relevant to LGBT plus disabled people? Goodness. Um, so the misconceptions around um, disabled people, um, there's something called a kind of spread effect. So I think people think, if, you know, if you're disabled, then you're incapable of doing walking or, or, or movement or something like that. And thinking about physical disability and therefore you're incapable of X, Y and Z as well. Um, so that's one misconception that might happen. Um, I think another misconception is that disabled people don't want to talk about being disabled. Um, and that tends to go with a generation. Uh, the genera that's a, there's, there's been a generational shift in that, but up until quite recently, the topic of disability was very, very taboo. Um, and there was a misconception that if you're disabled, you don't want to talk about it. 
not that you have the right to ask disabled people intimate medical questions about themselves, but that there is a conversation to be had and there is a conversation that needs to be had around disability, um, particularly disability in churches and in faith circles. Um, so I think that's another misconception um, that we have. And I think maybe another misconception that people have is of a binary between disabled and not disabled. And I think there is a binary of sorts, but if we try and define what we mean by disability and we ask lots of different people what do you mean by disability what is disability to you we'll get lots and lots of different definitions and if we try to define the antithesis of disability ability we get even more variation in those definitions so actually pinning down what we mean when we're talking about disability is another conversation that maybe needs to be had and perhaps there are some other misconceptions around disability out there. Um, one of the more unhelpful ones is that we're all disabled, aren't we? And say, well, that's not helpful because there's, there's a certain group of people whom the Equality Act in the UK would define as, as disabled. Um, yes, it's likely that everybody in their lifetime will become disabled and that that's the binary that I think exists, that you are either disabled or not yet disabled. And that's another conversation that I think the church faith circles could have around disability is how are we going to cope with disability when it happens to us? So you talked about the misconception of that uh, people with this, with a disability don't want to talk about it. So how do we best start a conversation about a disability? Like how do we keep, I think that often we, when we meet someone who is different than we are or, uh, yeah, I would say is different uh, or is coping with something that we don't understand that then we are scared, not, you know, we don't want to hurt them. And then we often don't know we actually become awkward. So what is the best way for us to engage in a conversation and yeah, stay respectful? I think one of the best ways is to think in the terms of nothing about us without us. So have conversations around disability quite deliberately within faith circles and make sure that people who are disabled um, across a wide spectrum of disabilities are there at the table and are offering a voice and have a voice at that table. And I think quite deliberately opening the conversations and having those conversations is probably the way forward because you'll then discover things that maybe you didn't know and if you have deliberate conversations, then you're protecting the space for people um, to say what they need, exactly what they need um, to happen. Um, our church has a statement that is perpetually on the notice sheet, which says we aim to be inclusive. If we've done something or haven't done something that would help to make your visit accessible and comfortable, then please let us know. Um, so having that open door, I think, is also very helpful. Having very 
um, accessible statements around around your your intention for inclusivity. Um, uh, if if we're talking about faith circles, um, not being afraid to ask what people's needs are, but not asking for information that you don't need. Um, and thinking thinking again with the parallel with LGBT identities, um, if you wanted to visit uh, a faith group in a new city, um, I tend to look at the website to work out whether or not they're likely to be welcoming. And if I don't find the welcoming statement on the website, I don't go there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the same needs to be done with disabled identities and disabilities. And um, so it's very deliberately there that you you welcome people and that you can, after conversations, meet their needs as well. When you look at the LGBT community, different LGBT plus groups, like what do you see that happens there to LGBT plus people who are disabled and what needs to be done there? separate from churches i'm not sure i understand the question can you help me help me help i'm me just thinking maybe this is totally like my prejudice but i i think that often disabled people have a hard time when they're just connecting to lgbt plus groups that there are some specific things that they are facing is that true or am i wrong or is it just the same like when you talk about church communities? I'm not sure I have the experience to be able to answer one way or the other with that question. So um, when I go to, because I, I don't spend a lot of time in LGBT groups outside of faith groups, um, because the way that I came to uh, accept my LGBT identity was intimately connected with my faith and um, and with a church that was at the time that was and still is very affirming um so i've actually spent very little time in lgbt groups that aren't also faith-based groups um so i don't have the experience to to speak to that question so i want to ask actually a question came to my mind and you don't have to ask uh, answer personally from from your experience but maybe just in general if you if you know that we know that many of us long for having a partner and someone a special person in our life what is your experience uh, with you know people with disability when they're you know really want a partner is it harder for them like what are the challenges for them dealing with all the misconceptions and maybe people being awkward around them and everything else? Um, so I think from um, a number of people's experiences, um, there's always that question on dating sites, isn't there? Do I or don't I? Or do I have the big reveal when I come to the date that actually, look, I'm disabled. Um, I've had a very different uh, set of personal experiences with partners um, in that I've um, got together with partners who I've known previously and I've sometimes come across the almost opposite problem where they forget that the disability is there and ask me to do things that there's no way on earth I could do. Hang on a minute, 
Um, and I won't say that they don't see the disability anymore because I don't think that's what it is, but it becomes a part of you. So it's not there anymore. Um, so it is acknowledged, but it's, it's, it's somewhere below consciousness. Um, so it's not part of my experience, but I do know that there, there is that kind of question of do I or don't I reveal that I have a disability? I think um, thinking about that situation, um, if I was dating and, um, want, and I, I, I wouldn't want to date somebody who, um, who didn't have a positive attitude to that so I would always want to be very upfront about it and say hey this is what this is what it's like um and quite frankly if you if you if, you, if you're put off by that then that's a deal breaker right from the very beginning um I think that's that's the attitude that I would that I would take to it because hey it is part of me and um part of caring for one another is looking after one another and if you're not prepared to go there then let's not get together um but fortunately i say i've had the complete opposite experience where people have known me um and and almost yeah because it is it is so intrinsically linked with the person it's yeah i i love your attitude <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing but what comes to my mind is you know that there might be people who lgbt plus people or you know people in general with a disability who are not at this place where you are what would you give them i don't know as an advice or just something like yeah what would you tell them I still find um, helpful communications to be coming from two separate streams. Um, so I haven't yet found the book or, or the writing that tells you how to be disabled and LGBT and Christian. Um, I know that there is, there is some writing, there's a lot of very good writing around disability. Um, and there's a lot of good writing around LGBT theology. And I would point people towards those sources with the health warning that just because the writing around disability and the theology around disability is helpful, um, you'll need to go somewhere else for the theology around LGBT identities and those writers are of course within European forum communities so I don't need to tell you who they are um but yeah I haven't found the writing that that mixes those identities together in a way that I find particularly helpful um as yet one of the most helpful things that was said to me was one of the Teze brothers um so when you go to Teze um the brothers hang back after the evening service and the bit that they're supposed to they say that they like the most is speaking to pilgrims who come to Teze. Um, and I was speaking to a brother and he said, God sees the struggle. And that's just four words. Um, and that really helped me. It was four or five years ago now, but that really helped me at the time. And it still helps me now. No matter what you're going through, God sees the struggle. Um, and I think that is 
one of the most helpful things anyone has ever said to me. So I'll say it here in this space as well. Um, however unique your struggle is, God still sees it. So there is no book that covers both of these topics. Is there any plan that you maybe might write a book like that? I have no no plans and I'd be quite, I want to hedge, hedge that comment and say, hang on a minute, just because I haven't found that book doesn't mean that nobody's written it. It's that I haven't found it. So if you're watching this podcast and you know of a book that meshes those identities together, um, LGBT, disabled and Christian, then please do shout about it because I'd love to know what that book is. Um, but I have no, no plans to write um, as yet. So you heard, if you know about a book like this that covers all three topics, being Christian, disabled and LGBT, then yeah, leave a comment or send it directly to the Priceless Podcast. You can find the contact uh, through the Priceless Podcast webpage. Yeah, so uh, actually you talked a lot about um, communities and how they can, you know, start conversations about, uh, you know, how to be there and make better rules and also think about people with disability what about people in their personal lives for example me if I meet someone who is disabled what is a good way you know what what I said already we are so often awkward because you know we don't want to say something wrong but at the same time you know I know that all you need is just to be human so what is that like a place don't talk about disability or talk about it like what what are the best ways to be a human being to to that person i think the probably the bottom line to that answer would be to treat them as a human um and to maybe i draw a parallel with transgender identities and gender identities more generally and think well if i got someone's pronouns wrong i just apologize and move on and try better next time same as if i as if i dead named somebody by mistake or anything like that i'd say sorry and then i'd move on um the same kind of thing goes i think it's really important to ask if you're unsure ask you know what can i do to help you access this um, if you if you if you can see that somebody's not going to be able to access something, um, but if they say no, that's okay. I can do it. Then that's okay. And if you make a mistake, if you use a word that's incorrect, um, or a word that they don't like, and they say actually I don't really like you using that word, or actually I'd rather you didn't ask me that, then say sorry and move on. I can't. What I can't do is speak for every disabled person either listening to this podcast or in existence, um, everybody's going to react differently. Um, I'm quite happy for the toddler on the bus to ask me why I'm wearing a leg brace um, rather than their parents hush them. But there's other people out there who would actually really rather it was just hushed. So there's a lot of multiplicity of, of feeling around it. Um, 
and I think it is just about being yourself treating them with respect and if you do something that's a little bit um, uncomfortable for the person you're speaking to then apologize and move on and don't let it ruin that relationship and don't avoid avoid them ever more just go back and try again yeah i think it's so important we often think that we know what other people need and we don't know and who who knows best the person her him themselves so uh, yeah just just ask uh, we have this saying that the road the pavement to uh, hell is is paved with good intentions is there something like that in English? yeah the road to hell is paved with good intentions so it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions yes so yeah you can have the best intentions but you know it's best to ask because the person knows what they need and they can explain how they need it <laughs> because we often think that we know how to do it and maybe we don't know how to do it the best way okay so i don't know is there anything that you know, we didn't talk about, but you really think we should talk about it, we should mention it, or you would just like to share it here? Not that immediately, not that immediately comes to mind. Um, yeah, um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, what what could I share that's beyond, beyond what you've asked? Um, I think one of the other pieces of wisdom want to a better term that I might depart is to be very careful when you're speaking about prayers for healing um, and don't ever assume that somebody who has a disabled identity wants to be healed of that disabled identity so even as a young adult I would have uh, I lived in a town called Oxford in England and I had some young students from Oxford um, come up and say, um, hey, has anyone ever prayed about your leg? Um, do you want your leg to be better? And that just felt like a complete transgression of boundary and completely inappropriate. So thinking about prayers for healing, being particularly careful around prayers for healing for any illness, not just disability, um, thinking about the, the, the words that you're using around healing and the language that you're using around healing because the healing stories in the Bible are often taken very literally as um, the blind being able to see, um, the lame, I'm putting it in air quotes, the lame being able to walk. Actually, if you unpick those stories and have a look under the cover and think about what's going on, it's not so much the physical disability that may be being healed, but a social um, exclusion that might be being ratified, um, that might be being um, dealt with. So the lepers can go back to the community, for example. So taking a more metaphorical approach to the healing stories and to the whole language we use around healing in the Bible, I think would be something that, that you could look at. Um, yeah. Something else. Something else. I was just thinking about. And I was thinking, what else um, has been part of my part of my journey? Yeah. I'm 
you know, I'm I'm just thinking about how unaware we are, where how much all these different Bible stories actually played and play a major role in many lives of disabled people. You know, that's something now that you're talking about it. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. So one of the writers that I might point you to um, to think about disability, one of the writers that I first went to is somebody called Johnny Erickson Tada. She is a quadriplegic, and she became quadriplegic when she was fourteen. Um, and this is where it's important to distinguish between disability mm -hmm. and LGBT. So she's very vocal around disability. She's not vocal around LGBT issues. And one of the stories she thinks about is um, the through the roof story where the friends let the, the, the paralyzed man through the roof um, and people coming up to her and saying, well, if you had enough faith, then you would be healed. And her saying back, no, it's the faith of the friends that healed that man, not that man's faith. So it's because my friends don't have enough. If you want to take it like that, then it's my friend's faith. So thinking around stories and thinking around the way that we interpret stories is, is, is absolutely critical indeed. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to ask you to definitely send me uh, the title and the name of the writer so I can put it in the podcast description. And that's where you can find it, dear viewers and listeners. Okay, so I think that uh, we came to the end of my questions, but certainly I'm so glad when you said that this is a topic that is not talked enough about, and I'm glad I, I heard about you. Actually, I asked someone because I wanted to have this conversation and that we talked about it. And I hope that there will be many, many more conversations around this so such important topic to yeah really see how we can be better and more inclusive and that there is not only LGBT people that we need to include, be inclusive of, but that there are people with disability. And then, of course, we can go on further and there are so many topics that we still need to discuss and that are so important that people feel that they're a part of us because <laughs> we are us Indeed. And all together. Yeah, just to keep the conversation alive, I think is really important. So I'm on Facebook um, and I'm happy for you to link to my Facebook. Um, I'm happy for people who are watching or listening to this podcast to ask me questions um so by all means please do um communicate i think that's part of it and i think that's part of the work that we need to do so i'm happy to be part of that work as needed thank you sean for being willing to share your story and also about being disabled you know and giving us some wisdom um on this topic uh, thank you, dear viewers and listeners, for being with us. As said, all the links that uh, that we mentioned in this interview, and maybe even more, we'll put in the podcast description. This podcast was made in partnership with the European Forum of LGBT Christian Group. It is part of Let Us Be Heard series, which is 
partially funded by HMS. The link is in the podcast description. Subscribe, like, comment, and share with others. And yeah, this is all from us today. So thank you for being with us. All there is to say bye, everyone, and see you soon. And bye, Sean. Bye. Thank you, Michal. Thank you for having me here.